Well, if you uh, have been coming uh, for the last few weeks, you realize that we are in a new series uh, entitled The Lord's Prayer. Pretty obvious what the subject matter is. Uh, It is about the Christians praying and that great privilege and responsibility and opportunity to have connection and fellowship with our Father in heaven as we've been seeing and as I suggested, this is, a, is, a, is both sort of a, an expository series because it comes from a particular passage we're going to read in just a moment in Luke's, I mean, in Matthew's gospel. Um, and, but it also is in some ways a little broader than just because we're just taking each of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, having looked at, at the uh, beginning of the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. It's kind of the prep, what we might call the preface. And then now looking at each of the respective petitions or requests that we make of the Lord according to our Lord Jesus, who was teaching his disciples to pray in response uh, that was to their asking Jesus to teach them as John taught his disciples. And we said this is really not something that we just do rotely. It's okay to pray it as is. But it's really meant to be something that gives us an outline or a blueprint is the way that I've spoken about it. Uh, The idea of a blueprint so we know what kind of things to focus our prayers upon. And so today, again, as we look at another one of the petitions in in verse 10 is going to be the focus. But here now. The scripture reading from Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9 through verse 13, and then also over Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. Remind you, this is the word of the living God. But when you pray, excuse me, I'm sorry, verse verse 9, pray then like this, our Father, In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Then over in Luke's gospel and the fourth chapter, beginning at verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst, he came out of him, having done no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? 
For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he rose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into the desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. The word of the Lord. Let's ask his blessing upon it. Father, again, I ask that you help us as we look once again at this important petition that you have given us and told us it is these things that should occupy our praying minds and hearts and words. Father, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for him, Lord Jesus, that you sent him as you promised. We thank you on this Pentecost Sunday and we pray for his power his pr- in your presence by him with us today and always. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, growing up, whenever I heard the expression, kingdom come, it either had something to do with a hopeful destination, a.k.a. another word for heaven, or an explosive culmination. Like, I'm going to blow you to kingdom come. You ever hear that expression? Now, that one is referring to basically remove you from this planet. But neither of these really is what Jesus is talking about. It's not what Jesus had in mind when he was trying to teach his disciples how to pray. The kind of things that that should be on their prayer list. The kind of things that should focus their attention and their desire He had something else in mind. Furthermore, the focus he had in mind is more on earth, not in heaven. For now. And it's more now rather than then. You ever thought about that? This kingdom coming that Jesus is telling his disciples to pray for 
is not about something by and by far away in the sky. It's not about something then. It's something we're asking the Father to do now. In us. With us and through us. As we're going to see. So far, in this series, we've looked at two things. We've looked at God's paternity, His fatherliness. That's the preface. Our Father in heaven. Last time, we looked at what we could call God's person. Because when you speak of hallowing God's name, you're really talking about treating God as He deserves. Hallowing, revering, respecting, honoring Him. And today... Our focus is going to be on what we could call God's program. What's God up to? What's his agenda in the world? Especially now in the light of the coming of his son. And the sending of his Holy Spirit. And this day that we celebrate Pentecost. The marking, the remembrance of the spirit that would come, Jesus said, with power. To accomplish God's purposes. Today, we're going to be looking at God's program by looking at the verse 10 that I read of what does it look like when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're going to consider today. We'll use three headings. Here they are. The explanation the demonstration, and the participation. All right? Now, as for the explanation, what did Jesus mean? What is he saying? What's he talking about when he says, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, sometimes people, you may have seen people, and and it's not that, per se, wrong to split this. But some people attempt to separate the petition as if they are two different things. Your kingdom come is one, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as as somehow that one being secondary. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. They're all together. And the latter explains... The former. That's the explanation. The latter, your will be done on earth, explains what the coming of the kingdom looks like. In other words, we know his kingdom is coming, is having impact in the present, when we see his will being done on earth the way it's done in heaven. How is it done in heaven? Yes, sir. Right away, sir. No mutiny there. No rebellion. No overthrow. No coup. That's when we see God's will being done like that by his people. Then we know the kingdom is coming. And we're to be praying and longing for that. And working toward that. You see a kingdom. 
as you well know, is a country or a territory that is ruled by a who? A king or a queen, a monarch. Um, today, you and I get to vote on who's going to be our, quote, king, but we don't have one. Our founding fathers made sure of that, that we didn't. We didn't want one. We saw what happens uh, when that kind of power is given. But by nature, a king, we get to vote for our leaders. But if we lived in a kingdom, then we would simply do what we were told to do by the king or the queen. Whatever they told us to do, that would be their will. And they had the authority and the power, if we didn't comply, to make it go hard and be difficult for us. But the most important part about a kingdom is it's ruled or run by a king. A kingdom has a king. And the Bible tells us over and over in many ways and places, in the Old Testament and the New, the Bible tells us that God is the king of the whole world, of all the earth. Everything he created is part of his kingdom in that sense. But the Bible also tells us that with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom reached a rocketed propulsion stage in which it just blows past anything that it had accomplished and been done before. And now the kingdom has been thrown into overdrive with the coming of Christ and with the sending of the Spirit to accomplish the purposes of God. Jesus was giving the, given the kingdom and he promises to once at the end of the age deliver it up unto the Father. His, he is a great king and he is a good king and his will is always right. But there's a problem. <laughs> the Bible teaches also that though God's a good king and he's given King Jesus the keys to the kingdom to reign and eventually deliver it back to the Father at the end. The Bible also tells us that men and women and boys and girls have a propensity to fight against God's kingdom. We're not always willingly compliant with the directives, with the orders of the king. You see, the problem is we want our will to be done instead of God's will. Or at least we want it to be more done. Our will to be more done. God can have his, but just make sure we get our will. Our little kingdom accomplished. Furthered. Advanced. By the way, you know what you call that? The essence of sin. That's what the essence of sin is. It's your and my job to get ourselves ensconced upon the throne of our own lives where we're kings and queens for a day 
for a month, for years, for however long. I remember when I was first became a Christian, one of the books that was shared to me had, a, had that kind of an illustration and basically said, this is what's wrong. This is the upside-downness of, of, of sin. Yeah. We, we're on our own throne of our own lives. We need to yield that to King Jesus. But that does not come naturally. It only comes by the power of the ascended Christ and his spirit. And as a result of our rebellion against God's will on earth, we're living under a curse. We're not really good at reigning and ruling over our own lives. We think we are. We're convinced we are. But we're not. And all we've done is left a mess for the planet and everything in it because of that. Now, that's the explanation about what we're to be praying for. The kingdom to come here and now in this world, in this place, where you and I live and move and have our being, as it is being done, we should be as compliant as it's being done there. Now, that's what we're to be praying for. Now, what's the demonstration? What am I talking about? As Luke's gospel unfolds, we reach the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. You remember? And if we read uh, Luke, or excuse me, yeah, Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. But before that, if we'd gone back even further, when he first went into the synagogue and read the scroll from Isaiah and said, this, this scripture today is fulfilled in your hearing. What he was saying, and they got it. They didn't miss it. They got it. He was saying to the people all around him, when you look at me standing here today, you are looking at the kingdom of God having come to this earth. I am the king of that kingdom. That's what Jesus was in essence saying. He is saying all those prophecies foretold about the coming king in the kingdom, you're looking at him, folks. Now, that was quite disturbing news to them. But Jesus decided to go out, and you see Luke's account, what happens? It's a massive demonstration that he was not pulling their leg. He was not teasing with them. He wasn't playing a game. He was going to go out and do the things that a mighty and true king who is a healer. Tolkien got that right, too. He's going to show them. And so we read in that passage. I'm not going to read it again. But that passage, as Jesus went out to all these other places and demonstrated that the kingdom of God had begun on earth and that he was the one who brought it. And as I said already in 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 27a, he's the one that's going to finish it too. He not only inaugurated it at his first coming, he's going to finish it at his second. He's going to put the bow on it and give it back to to his father. When every enemy has been defeated, even the enemy of death itself. So you see, Jesus not only proclaimed the kingdom's presence, but he demonstrated its power 
as its true king. And that sets the agenda for how we're to pray for the kingdom to come. Lord Jesus, unleash your power. Send forth your spirit. Work and accomplish what we cannot do. But as our king, you can. You see, it is the gospel of what? What did the text that we read in Luke say? It is the gospel of the kingdom. It is a gospel that brings men and women and boys and girls into a right relationship with God through Jesus. And then it puts them on, as as it were, in the Lord's army. Puts you on his team to be a part of bringing and advancing and praying for the kingdom to come. The gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. The announcement of this good news that the king has come to expand his kingdom, not just locally, but to his Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You heard Chris talking about that in in the quarterly uh, briefing last week about our missions. What is the mission of this church, what do we do? Why do we spend so much money on sending missionaries? Because that's part of in doing that. That's putting feet to our prayers. Lord, send laborers into the harvest. That's another way of saying, Lord, bring your kingdom. Slay your enemies, spiritually speaking, and make them your friends. Turn your enemies and make them lovers of God rather than enemies of God. You see, the prayer for the coming of the kingdom is a prayer for missions. It's all missional. It's all about that. We can't just be a church that just loves and hangs on to our community. Though that is a beautiful thing and we want that and we want it to be healthy. And and we can't just worship. We've also got to be missional. We've got to be sending and going and giving in order that there might be others that will be drawn in as God pities the nations, constraining them to come, sending his victorious word abroad and bringing the strangers, the aliens, home. We were once that. We should long for that. And so when we pray for the coming of God's kingdom, We are praying for the success of evangelization and missions. For the equipping of that. For the people raising up for that service. For the resources to go. God, open the treasuries of heaven and fuel the engine of missions. That's what we are praying for. For the kingdom to come. But it's even broader than that. It also has to do with everything. The scripture says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. All men and women, boys and girls, are obligated to acknowledge the kingship of God. Now, here's where the last element comes in. The participation. I've kind of been all over it already. But let me see if I can draw it home a little bit closer. The participation. By that I mean 
when we pray this particular petition, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying for all that God's doing in the earth. We're praying, we're joining with God's cause, we're trying to align ourselves with his interest, his kingdom, and whatever he's up to and whatever he's doing, we ought to be excited about that and asking God, yes, God, do it. Do it again. Send revival again. Send that, reach those people, Lord. Bring them into the kingdom. And my friends, we do not understand very well what God is up to in our time. We spend too much time reading our paper or watching the news on our TVs or on our smartphones. And we think that's all the bad news that you continually get. We think that's all that's happening in the world. And there is some really bad news out there. Lots of it. But there's also some amazing things. God is working in places that you and I, if we really knew, it would blow our minds. It would absolutely astound you what has God has already done. This world would be 10,000 times the hellhole that it might sometimes feel like now if it weren't for the coming of the kingdom of God. And the reason there's as much good and beauty and glory, it's because of the presence of the king and the kingdom of God. And we get to have a role in that. We get a piece of that pie. We get to be part of what Father is doing. God is up to something, and it's bigger than you and I can ever imagine. I want you to listen to this. uh, This right here alone is is, is pretty amazing. You know that the percentage, something in, in Japan, the percentage of, People, Christians, is like less than 2%, right, Chuck, something like that? Less than 2%. Maybe, maybe That may be generous. Usually those things are. But this is from a Japanese author. His name is Alan, if I could say it, Wakabayashi. That's the best I can do. Listen to what Alan has to say. He was brought up by godly Christian parents that taught him. And to love the kingdom of God. He says Christianity is not merely about isolated individuals going to heaven. It's about God transforming the entire world. And making things right again. It's about God transforming. It's about sickness will be healed. Sins will be forgiven. Injustice will one day be eradicated. And all creation will be redeemed. But this is not merely a distant future. It's happening now through what Jesus came to establish. And it's called the kingdom of God. And you and I have interest in it. We have ownership shares. You know how you, people love about, oh man, I got, I got 
you know, this many shares of Google or I got this many shares. You know, they're real proud about that. You and I, we have shares in the interest of the kingdom of God. And that kingdom cannot, cannot be shaken. And it will not be defeated. And it will win. It will triumph. King Jesus has promised it so when he got out of that grave 2,000 years ago. And now he's been at work. Subtly, imperceptibly, at times, even in the worst of circumstances, yet bringing his kingdom, he still is at work. And you and I are called to partner with him in that great missional enterprise. The advancement of the kingdom of God. We don't bring the kingdom of God We partner with him as he brings his kingdom. You see, really is an amazing thing that we, you and me, are solicited to help unleash the kingdom's power through our prayers. You and I, through our prayers, get to have a role in Turning loose the gospel. Turning loose the power of the kingdom of the world to come. Remember, ordained means are part of an ordained end. Ordained means lead to an ordained end. In other words, if God is wanting to do or accomplish something, and it will be God that does it, and yet prayer is one of those things he says, I will use that tool, I will use your participation and your yearning and your cries to me, I will bring about what I intend to accomplish, but your prayers will be part and parcel of unleashing that and moving that. He didn't have to do it that way, but he did. And we, you're talking about a reason to live. A reason to be alive at a time like this. Ultimately, understanding ourselves as citizens of that kingdom will empower us as change agents in the world. No, we can't fix everything. We're not going to. And a lot of things are not going to get fixed until the end. But we have come a long way, baby. And many things God has already done. We just are totally oblivious to it or we just take it for granted that it just happened. The world that would have been without Christ's coming is unimaginable. You cannot imagine anything so dark. But now we live in the light and we bask in it and we don't act like it's just just always been here. The hospitals that you can go to. The doctors you can see. The orphanages that you can find. All of these things are the result of the kingdom of God coming. I love the understanding between these two uh, great giants in the ancient church. When the fall of Rome came in 410 A.D., 
a guy over in the Middle East named Jerome, church father, who would ultimately write write a lot of the, the Latin Bible, translate the Bible into Latin. He absolutely fell apart. He absolutely fell apart. And he was totally despairing, despondent. He says, if the eternal city... Rome had become Christianized under Constantine and they, he thought, this, our, we're hitched to this wagon. Everything's banking on this. And when they were sacked, Jerome said, what now? What's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen to the kingdom of God? You see, Jerome confused the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. Somebody else didn't. You know his name? If you were in Rick's class this morning, you heard about him. His name was Augustine. Not Augustine, Augustine. Augustine knew. He was sad about the fall of Rome too, but he knew that his interests and those of the people of God were not determined by the success of any nation then or now. The kingdom of God will go on, come what may, to Rome, to something else, or to something we love. The kingdom of God will continue. And in that game, we cannot lose. We cannot ultimately lose. We are part of something bigger. God is at work restoring things to the way that they are supposed to be, and he is not through. But one day he will accomplish every purpose and bring the kingdom at last to the Father complete. And you know what that means? It means you and I need to be able to dream bigger dreams. We need to tackle bigger problems. We need to press the crown rights of King Jesus and not be afraid. To be bold. Because this kingdom cannot be shaken according to Hebrews. Oh yeah, shake me and you. You can put a bullet in us. You can slit our throat like others and worse. You can burn them. But you can't. You can't stop the kingdom. And all they can do is just advance us to where it's going to end. You see, very little is at stake. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I feel like I need to confess something. My petty prayers. My petty prayers. And don't get me wrong. You and I have the invitation to bring the smallest, littlest thing, tiniest thing to our Father because he cares for us. He says, cast your cares on me. That's in there too. But sometimes we're always so absorbed with getting our shopping list filled. Are we passionate about what he's passionate about? Are we desiring what he desires? Or once again, is Joe bringing his petty little list of, well, I'd like you to do this for me. God, I'd like you to do that. I feel ashamed. And I should. And my father's not shaming me. He loves me. 
He knows all that about me. He still loves me. He loves you if you're his. But you see, sometimes we just, we're not shooting big enough. We're not aiming high enough. Raise your sight. Put your prayer into something that can make a difference in this world. That can bring the kingdom of God. But someone may say, Joe, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I spend all this time praying about this kingdom stuff, I won't have time to ask for dot, dot, dot. Right? Well, if you feel that way, and I do sometimes too, you and I might be challenged to believe that we really can count on God to supply all our needs just as he promised. Listen. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. And Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. This is Jesus speaking. Do not be like them. Why? For your Father knows you have need before you ask. It's okay to have the list, but you don't really need the list. Matthew six thirty three. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things. In other words, Christians, we're supposed to be different. That's what the lost folks thought. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? All these things will be added unto you. Do we trust him? Are we going to depend on him? Whose program are you pursuing? You think about that. Amen. Father, please now help us. It's a big cause. But it's a big kingdom that you're bringing, Lord. And you are a big and great and glorious king. Lord, thank you for letting us be, have a role in this, a partnership and shares in it. Lord, will you continue, fill our hearts with a desire to see your kingdom advanced through our prayers and through our means for your glory. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.